Now we're going to be in Exodus six. Uh, you, you, if you grew up in church, you'd be right in maybe saying Exodus doesn't feel like an Easter series. I don't know. Exodus kind of feels heavy. There's a lot of complaining and deserts and plagues. You know, uh, it feels heavy. But, but I do think it's this. It's appropriate for this Easter season, and here's why. At least I believe it is, and here's why. Uh, the Exodus, the, the event, the story that this is, is, has told here, really has two main things. So I'm going to preach this sermon kind of in two parts. The, the part this week will, will, will match with the part next week, which I guess you would hope would happen in any series, you know. But specifically, the one, one of the things is uh, that uh, God is making his name known. This is a theme in Exodus. I, I am Yahweh. Right, uh, and and all that that means—not just like, hey, people don't know my name, but in all that comes with God making His name known—it's a big, big deal. Uh, and so it's huge. Him revealing Himself in, in in a way that was was never seen before or never imagined before—that is an Easter theme, right? Like that's what we see at Easter: is God showing us what He is like in in, in a way that we could not have dreamed of. The other thing that. Uh, happens. The reason that this is, I think is, is fits at Easter is because the Easter, sorry, the Exodus story is the paradigmatic. It, it is the example, the model, the, the thing that is appealed back to over and over and over again for how God saves. What he does. The story of Exodus all through the rest of Scripture is like, hey, you remember Exodus? Like much of the Old Testament, anything that happens, you guys remember Exodus? Like you remember the God who did that? That's who we're talking about. Uh, and again, to bring to mind his his name, what he is, what he's like, and so this story sets this up. So we're going to start in six. We've already been through one through five, and, and what happened in one through five is is amazing. So in, back in Genesis, just to kind of catch us up where we where we were, God makes everything, uh, and humans rebel, and at some point, uh, God God being committed to His program uh, uh, of uh, loving humanity, uh, decides, ordains from eternity uh, that he is going to bring about the blessing that he desires for humans. And the way that he's going to do it is through the descendants of this man named Abraham. Okay? And so he makes these promises, crazy promises to Abraham and to his kid Isaac and, and his kid Jacob. He makes these crazy promises, not just about a land, but about blessing the whole world through this lineage. And so Genesis is amazing. It starts off really broad, like God made everything. And then it kind of narrows down to, like, to humans. And then it narrows down even further to the descendants of this one man named Abraham, to whom God makes all of these promises. Here is what I am going to do. And so you get to, one of the promises was that they're going to have this land. I'm going to give your descendants this land. And uh, you get to Exodus and uh, they're not in the, gen- the end of Genesis and, and they're not there. The end of Genesis, they're actually in Exodus. I'm sorry, in, in, in Egypt. All these E words, uh, I get confused, I apologize. Uh, they're in Egypt, not where they're supposed to be. They've gone down there. God has saved them actually through this guy named Joseph. It's an amazing story. And so they've been brought down into Egypt and they're doing well and they begin to flourish and they do really, really great in Egypt. But it's not where God would have them. They're supposed to have this, this land, this promised land. 
And Exodus begins that way, that there is this almost like Eden, this promise of flourishing. The Eden story begins, I'm sorry, it sounds like the Exodus story begins with this Eden idea of flourishing. They are doing the thing that God told them to do way back in the garden, which is being fruitful and multiply. But there's also death. And so they're definitely outside of the garden. And so um, over time, uh, they don't remember who Joseph was, this great hero in Egypt. They don't remember who he was anymore. And this pharaoh, this, this ruler, this king comes to power, doesn't remember Joseph. And he looks around and he makes this very cunning decision. There's too many of these Israelites. There's too many of these descendants of Abraham here. And if war breaks out, what if they side with the other side? Like This is a bad military strategic move to let them have so much land and so much authority. And so what he decides to do, the way he decides to deal with them shrewdly is he enslaves them, right? And so he just says, listen, you're going to work for us and that's it. And so he uses his military might to enslave the descendants of Abraham. And uh, God's clearly got a plan, but I, what happens is he, 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 the Pharaoh gets so, so God continues to bless them. And the Pharaoh becomes so obsessed with this idea that he, that he, that he resorts to infanticide. He's killing all the baby boys uh, and, and uh, he's trying to kill them all. But the, the midwives of Egypt, not even the Israelites, the, the midwives of Egypt, they're like, nah, we fear God. We're not going to do what you asked us to do. So they continue to flourish. It is amazing to me how often in scripture, how fragile God's plan seems to be. You know what? Not just in scripture. Sometimes in my life, it seems like, I don't know, God, pretty flimsy this way, right? Uh, And his entire plan at different places, but it hangs on what seems like a thread. In this place, it hangs on the obedience of a few midwives. His whole plan. That's insane. But God is powerful and these women obey and they they don't. And so this this kid named Moses is born. And through the bravery of some women, actually this guy named Moses is, is, is... put into a basket and he's sent down river instead of being killed. And the, the Pharaoh's daughter actually ends up uh, taking Moses, finds him in the river and, and, and takes him in, lets his mother actually raise him in the crazy twist of events. And, and, and he grows up, Moses ends up growing up in the palace. Uh, the one that God is going to use to take the Israelites right out of Egypt is raised in Pharaoh's very house. Because God has a sense of humor. <laughs> it's amazing. And so, so uh, this is happens. And so at some point, Moses looks around, right? He goes up and uh, an Israelite, knowing he's an Israelite, knowing he's a Hebrew, knowing that looking around and seeing that all of his, the, the countrymen, his, his parents and all of their friends enslaved. And he looks around and he sees all of this. And what he just gets, you know, he's, he's an outsider in the Pharaoh's house because, you know, he's not Egyptian. So he goes out one day and he sees some people being mistreated, some Hebrews being mistreated, some Israelites being mistreated. And he intervenes and kills a guy. And uh, I don't know what he was expecting. Maybe a hero's welcome because he's trying to save him, you know? But the next day he goes out and sees like two Israelites fighting. And he goes, he intervenes like, guys, what are you fighting about? Like your brothers. And they turn around and they're like, who made you prince over us? We don't, we don't know you. You're, you're from the Pharaoh's house. Like, you're going to kill us like you did that guy yesterday? And Moses is like, oh. he's like scared, right? And so he's on the run. Pharaoh finds out. So this dude who's tried to help out, tried to be, he's on the run, and he ends up in this place called Midian. So he was never really at home in the palace. His own people uh, that he tried to help, he, he's, they don't accept him either. So he ends up on the run. He ends up in, in Midian, this place called Midian, married to, uh, uh, married to the daughter of a guy he's keeping sheep for. 
And uh, if you're curious how Moses feels about all this, we're told this little detail that he names his kid, his first kid, uh, uh, with the name that means sojourner. He names his kid, we don't belong here. That's how Moses feels about it. When he's about 80 years old, he sees this burning bush, uh, and God tells him, hey, listen, I'm going to use you to lead people out of Israel. And Moses says, God, that wants hard pass. I'm out. No thanks. And God's like, no, you're going to do it. And Moses is like, really don't want to. And God's like, no, you're going to do it. And he's like, dude, I can't even talk. Nobody accepts me. Who am I? Why not? I just really don't. And God's like, oh, because that's how he sighs. You know, he's like, fine, I'll send your brother with you. Uh, you know, so he's like, so Aaron shows up and Aaron's going to go and be the mouthpiece uh, of Moses. And Moses, he's like, I need you to go to Pharaoh and I need you to tell him to let these people go. And Moses is like, dude, I don't even know that Pharaoh. The last Pharaoh that I knew was trying to kill me. People don't know who I am. Like, what am I supposed to do? And he's like, go tell them who I am and what I'm going to do. So he sends him back to Back to Egypt. And so what happens when he gets there is amazing. Uh, He goes to the people and he says, hey, listen, God has visited me. Here's what happened. And the elders hear this story. They hear that God has visited them, that 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 God has heard their groaning under the slavery. And it says this, it says that they worshiped God. It was like probably the first big success in Moses' life, right? Like everything up to now has probably been a little bit of a disappointment. And his huge success, they heard. And so he goes into Pharaoh and he says, listen, I'm here. God says, let my people go. We got to worship in the desert. And Pharaoh says, who? I, I don't know any Yahweh. Is he here with us now? Because no, I don't, I don't know him. Not, not only that, don't care about him. Not only that, no way I let the Israelites go. That's my labor force. You've lost your mind. Not doing it. And then that same day, he goes out to the people who are overseeing, the uh, the Egyptians that are overseeing the forced labor of the Israelites. And he's like, hey, you know how these guys are making bricks for us? Yeah, here's the deal. Uh, They have to keep making the same number of bricks, but don't give them straw anymore. They need to go find the straw themselves. He makes their burden harder. So the people go to Moses and go, dude, what in the world? Like, why did you even come here? Like, this is miserable. Why would you, what, what, what are you doing? You heard from God and now our life is harder? Thanks. No thanks. And so that's what's happening. And Moses' return to Egypt is not very triumphant. And he says this at the end of the section. He says, uh, Moses turns back to the Lord. Oh, so the people said to Moses, and this is the in five, end of five. Um, uh, they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made a stink in the sight of the Pharaoh and the servants and have put us, they put a sword to, uh, uh, and you put a sword in their hand to kill us. Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, Oh Yahweh, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever even send me? For since I've come to the Pharaoh to speak your name, he's done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. So this is where the situation sits, uh, when we, where we ended up. Uh, we ended up with Moses being in full-on depression. The people are mad and angry, and Pharaoh has not budged to do anything except make their lives even harder. 
And then this is what happens in 6.1. But the Lord said to Moses, Yahweh. So just a reminder, uh, when you see Lord in all caps, uh, that is honoring an old tradition of not writing the name Yahweh uh, in Jewish traditions. And when you see it all caps, though, that is the word Yahweh, the, the name of God, when it's all caps like that. But, the, but, the, but Yahweh said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of this land. This is a turning point. This is a hinge in the book of Exodus. Uh, it's a place of movement. Uh, God is about to, re- he's going to renew his promises. But before he gets there, he s- says, listen, here's what's going to happen, Moses. Not only is Moses, uh, he said, uh, he's, they're, they're not going to, he's not going to listen to me. So he's like, yeah, not only is he not going to let your people go, he's not going to let the people go. He's actually going to drive them out. It's what he said from the beginning. I told you you would lead my people out, but you know what? You're not just going to lead them out. Pharaoh is going to drive. He's going to expel them from Egypt. That's what's about to happen. Uh, Moses comes to him in this deep cry and this deep weeping and deep hurting. and says, what is happening? You have not done what you said. And God is like, be still and watch. Can you imagine if your friends or like your mom acted like God, right? Like talk to you like God, like you go to them and they're like, you're like, Hey, uh, this is not working out at all. Like it's going real bad. Uh, I took your advice last time and, uh, they go great. And they're like, no, no, you should keep going. What if they were like, Hey, you know what you should do? You're like, oh, I'm struggling with my life. Like you gotta, you gotta change. You should be a doctor. And you're like, don't I need to go to med school? They're like, no, you should just be a doctor. You're like, but I'm not qualified to be a doctor. I'm pretty sure some people have some things to say about that. Nah, you should be a doctor. Just go and do the thing that I told you to do. You got this. Just show up at the hospital. You got this. And you're like, but they're not going to let me in. Just do it. And you show up at the hospital and you come back. You're like, I told you they wouldn't let me in the hospital. They won't let me be a doctor. Like, what? Did, and they're like, no, nah, you're fine. You got this. It's fine. You like, I need new friends, right? Like I need new, I need like, this is not good. I'm not calling you anymore for advice. That's what's happening. He's like, God, like I told you not to send me. I told you I didn't want to come. I told you I wasn't qualified. I told you nobody would listen to me. And you keep saying to go do the same thing over and over again. Like, what, what, what are you thinking? What do you think is going to happen? And God, instead of saying what you, you know, like you would hope that your mom or your friend would be like, Hey, listen, here's the deal. I'm so sorry that happened. I'm so sorry that you're hurt. That breaks my heart. We'll come up with a new plan. I'm sorry about your feeling, whatever that is, like, like whatever this counsel and advice is that they would give, right? God does none of that. God's response to what are you doing is, all right, now watch. So often in our lives, we get to this place, like, 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 that's what the resurrection is, right? <laughs> right? I mean, isn't the resurrection, like that's the, 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 you get to Luke, we talked about last week, the, this passage in Luke, they're walking down the road and they, and they say that Jesus is with them and they don't even recognize it's him. And he, they say to him, he's like, what's going on? And they stop and they, they bow their head, they, they just they get sad and they say, haven't you heard this Jesus, we really believed he was going to be the one to rescue us. And you know what happened? They tortured and killed him. And Jesus is like, yeah, wait and see. Right? This, I am now going to show you something that you could never have even dreamed of. 
It happens so often, that song we just sang, in, in the places that we go in the darkness. You're there. Sometimes we get to the place and we, it seems so dark, like God is not going to do anything. Have you ever felt trapped? I don't know. If not, then you're like 19. Right? It, 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 when you get older, though, there comes a moment in life when you're like, I'm stuck. Like, this is it now. This is my life. Uh, I don't remember picking this life. Uh, I certainly wouldn't have. Uh, and now I'm here and this is just what I have to deal with, right? Like, what do I do now? You ever feel trapped? Like, in, in, in just, I know people who have struggled with much of the, in much of their life with persistent pain. Oh my God, can you imagine? Or, or, or something horrible has happened in their life and they're like, really? This is not what I would have picked. And it seems so dark. I want you to know if you've ever been at that place, God's repeated answer to scripture and throughout scripture to people who have faith in him is be patient and wait. You'll see. Do not ever doubt who I am or what I can do. It is amazing. So God doesn't say to him, he doesn't encourage him. He doesn't say buck up. He says, you watch what I'm going to do. All right, verse two. So God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. So this is a speech that he's about to give. He's giving this speech and you can tell it's kind of bracketed by this phrase. I am Yahweh. So the, uh, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am Yahweh. I'm the one who appeared to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob as God almighty. But my name, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. All right, let's stop right there. Real quick, let me, let me get technical for just a little bitty second, right? I need this for next week. This is a much disputed nerd, nerd out like Bibles, like write books, entire books about verse. He says, I didn't let my name be known. I did not reveal my name as Yahweh. They knew me as, any immigrant fans? El Shaddai. They knew me as God Almighty, as the powerful one. But I did not reveal myself as Yahweh to them. So, so kind of like on its face, what it looks like, the way that it's translated, and always be, always be suspicious when pastors are like, I don't like the way this is translated. Well, who cares what you like, pastor? Uh, is it true or not, right? And also, that's not my expertise. However, I've done a lot of reading, a lot of studying. And so this translation is just very, very difficult to understand because it makes it sound like on reading that they never heard the name Yahweh before. Here's the problem with that. It's used many times in Genesis. Like Yahweh, the name is used in Genesis. So how is he saying, I didn't reveal my name Yahweh to them? I can tell you how, if you're curious, how a lot of the academics, how a lot of the academics deal with this uh, is they have invented uh, a system called, uh, I don't even know, I can't remember what it's called, J-E-P, I'm missing a letter, huh? D. They created a system called J-E-P-D, right? And here's what, here's what they do. They say that it was written by four different people. And so this part was written by the E guy and, and, and the other part was written by the J guy and the D. And here's the deal. We don't have any of those documents, but they believe they exist. Okay. I, I struggle with that interpretation. Here, here's a better way, I think, to think about it. What's tied up in God's name is not just his 
title, not just his Yahweh, just not, not, not just the letters that make up his name. What is tied up in anybody's name is what they are like, their reputation, so much more about them. I think it's probably better, and, and the Hebrew definitely allows this translation more poetic to say something like this, or maybe this is the, I think this is the best way to understand what's going on. What God is saying to Moses is not like they didn't know my name. I'm just, you're the first person to have heard my name, Yahweh. I think what's going on is him saying, hey, before they knew me in a certain way, and I'm about to show myself in a whole new way. Before they knew me as powerful, they know me as the promise keeper. They knew me as the one who made promises and kept them as powerful, that protected and guided them. They knew me that way. You're about to find me, you're about to know me as Savior. It's a different thing. The different revelation of what I am like. Uh, Imagine it this way. Uh, There's a time in my life that I knew Wendy one way. I knew her as girlfriend. And there's a time that I knew her as wife. Right? It's a different way of knowing. And then I got to know her as mother. Right? It's a different way of knowing what she is like, what she is capable of, her character and her nature. And so what he is saying is, they've known me as this powerful God. You're now about to know me as Savior. Make sense? With me? All right. That's better than making up the JEDP thing, right? Anyway, so this is what he says. Um. They knew me as God Almighty, but by my name, my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. They didn't know me as Savior. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan. So I made the promise to give them the land, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I've heard the groanings of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves. And I have remembered my covenant. In the Bible, when God says he remembers, it doesn't mean he forgot. It means he's about to act. I remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am Yahweh, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. And you, you'll know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I'll bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am Yahweh. It's a speech, right? This is a declaration of what I am like and what I do. Yes, you know that I'm powerful, but you need to know me as Savior. And so he makes this huge Beach. I find it incredibly fascinating that God's response to Moses in this moment is a renewed revelation of what he's like. It's so easy to forget what God is like. It's so easy to forget how he behaves and what he does. It's so easy to go through a hard time and forget that God is a God who is the God of resurrection. A God who takes suffering and death and turns it into life. It is so easy to go through these things and forget what God is like, present with us in our suffering. I think so often we want God to go, you're right, my plan was bad, let me change it for you. Instead, he says, don't forget who I am. I'm the one who makes promises and keeps them. I'm the one who saves and delivers. Don't lose sight of who I am. I am Yahweh. So he he makes this declaration to Moses. And Moses, verse 9, 
spoke thus to the people of Israel and they rejoiced. Oh wait, no, my bad. I misread it, but they did not listen to Moses. Isn't that what you want? Like you want the Rudy moment. God gives this huge speech and everybody's like, ah, and they make this speech and Moses is like, all right, I'll go tell them. But you know, I've done this before. So he goes and tells them they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Oh, gosh. So Yahweh said to Moses, go and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel out of this land. <laughs> when you stop and think about it, that's worse, right? <laughs> right? Like, it's worse, right? Hey, go tell the people who believe in me that I'm going to come rescue them. And they don't listen. They didn't listen. Go tell Pharaoh. Go tell Pharaoh. That's what he says. Listen, that's what he says. But Moses said to the Lord, the people of Israel didn't listen to me. How will Pharaoh listen to me? For I'm a man of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to bring the people out of Israel to the land of Egypt. And then something really weird happens in the text. There's a long genealogy, which is what you're expecting, right? You're like, you know what we should have right here? Genealogy. These are the heads of the fathers of the house of sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel. All right, and so this is like a, this is a Levite genealogy. Uh, the, 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 they get down to Levi and they, they keep going down through that. Uh, and, and so we'll skip down to verse 26. Um, verse 26 says this. These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to the Pharaoh king of Egypt about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt. This Moses and this Aaron. Something very human about a genealogy in there. There's something very, God uses this Moses and Aaron. The ones who questioned God over and over again, the ones who didn't know what to do, the ones that said, are you serious? The ones that seemed to be constant failures, it was this Moses and Aaron that God used. Wait, which Moses and Aaron? This one. Here's his parents and his grandparents and his great-grandparents. That one. Wait, they used that Moses and Aaron? That Moses and Aaron spoke to Pharaoh. There's this genealogy to remind us, I believe, that God speaks these huge things. I am God. I am Yahweh. Go do these things. And we're like, you can't be serious. And he's like, yes, do it. Remind us that God calls humans, warts and all, somehow works through humans to accomplish his purposes. Which Moses and Aaron? This Moses and Aaron. So this is genealogy. On the day that the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. He's reaffirming his name. I am Yahweh. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I said to you. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, I have uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? The Lord said to Moses, see, I've made you like God to Pharaoh. Your brother Aaron shall be your, be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of this land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I'll lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know 
that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded. Moses was 80 years old. Aaron was 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. Unbelievable. They go in and talk to Pharaoh. Moses says, listen, God, I, I hear you, but I, I've done this before. It, it didn't, he's not going to listen. And God's like, yeah, he's not going to listen. I'm going to harden his heart. And Moses is like, that's why I just said, I just said he's not going to listen. Like, what, 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 what do you, why, why, why would you send me to talk? To, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm going to bring judgment. So what? Why would he do this? So my name is known in all of Egypt. So he shows up in the very beginning of the story or early in the story, Moses is going back and he says, who am I even going to tell them who you are? And God says, tell the people of Israel that I am Yahweh. And then he says, go to the Pharaoh. What am I going to say to Pharaoh? Tell him that I am Yahweh. And then he says, what do you, he's going to say, no, he's like, that's right. He's going to expel you and all of Egypt will know I am Yahweh. I am the God who saves. This is what he is like. Now, here's the deal. The thing about Moses that, that most impresses me here is that he's finally learned his lesson. He actually only forgets it as far as we know one other time. Here is the lesson that he learns that you and I, I think, need to learn. Uh, I don't want to put that on you. I, I need to learn it. And it's this. When we find ourselves in the dark place, you know what I mean? For whatever reason. I mean, Moses right here is because he's failed, right? I I don't know if you've ever felt like you failed God. But the shame that comes along with it, right? Ever since Adam. The shame that comes along with feeling like you failed God. The feeling of being letting him down. uh, Your instinct is to run and hide. When you failed and not done, not, it's not gone the way that you wanted for whatever reason, because of your screw up, because someone has hurt you, because you, because God is, because God just doesn't have you there yet. Whatever the reason it is that we get to a place where we just look out and go like, I failed. Our instinct is so often to run and hide. And Moses has finally learned his lesson. He has questions, but he runs to God with them. When we find ourselves in a place where we don't know what else to do, when we find ourselves in a place filled with shame because of what we've done and what we're doing, do not ever think the solution is to run and hide from God. Isn't it silly that we think that? It's so silly, but we do. We will buy, and you know what? We don't even know we're doing it. You just look back a week later, a month later, six years later, and you're like, what have I been doing? I've been running from God. I didn't understand his ways. I didn't like his ways. I didn't want his ways. And when we run to him, what we are looking for is a renewed vision of what he is like. In the last few years, the, uh, a verse that's just really wrecked me uh, so much. Uh, uh, there's this place where Jesus says, uh, come to me. And then he describes, the only place Jesus describes what he's like in the New Testament. He has come to me for I am gentle and lowly. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. What is, what is, how does Jesus describe himself? As gentle and lowly. As humble. 
It is his good pleasure, his desire for his children when we stumble and when we sin, when we find ourselves in the dark, maybe even not through our own doing, to run to him. We don't know what to do and we don't know where to go to run to him. And Moses gets this, man. You see through the rest of the story, this guy who's always been on the run his whole life, the rest of the story, except for one time, this dude immediately runs to God. He learned his lesson and he runs to God every single time. We want to be people who, as we mature, get out of the childish impulse to run away and mature into people who when we stumble and fall, because we will, when we get lost, because we will, that we jump up and the second we realize it, we run to him. We have to be people who run to the Lord because we forget what he's like. And so that's what we have to do. We have to constantly be reminding ourselves what God is like. Don't forget who he is. And I think that we all have our uh, Talladega Nights version of Jesus, right? You know what I mean? I've never seen the movie. It's a bad movie. You shouldn't watch it. Uh, but there's this theme, right, in this movie where everybody's discussing the version of Jesus they like. And it's like terrible and awful and it's, it's embarrassing. And I hate, hate it so much. It's awful. Uh, at the same time, though, I mean, we do that. Right? Like, I like the version of Jesus, right? Who just, you know, I think we mostly like the American version of Jesus who wants us to have a nice house, a nice car, and a lake place, and vacations. Like, we want that version of Jesus. I like that Jesus. Jesus who comes along and helps me do the things I want to do. Right? I, you know, I like the version of Jesus, right? Who's just always telling me what a bad person I am. Like, I just, I don't know why, but I just feed off that. Like, you know what? I, you know what I need? More rules today. I would feel better if you would just give me more rules so I could sit and waller in my self-loathing place. I like that version of Jesus. The gentle and lowly version of Jesus, I struggle with. We have to, the reason God is constantly revealing to us what he is like is because left to our own devices, we will make up our own version of Jesus. And here's the deal. Your version of Jesus and my version of Jesus will not save you. There is no resurrection from the dead in the version of Jesus that I made up. It's in the one that he's really like. And here's the good news. It's far better than the one that you made up. It's more complicated. It's a relationship. It's not just an idea, but man, it's far better than the one that we've made up. And so we constantly return to three things. I, I, I wish I had more complicated. I wish I had a, a, a easy, I wish there was something more advanced that I could offer you other than these three beautiful, simple things. One, be still and know that he's God. Find time to just be alone. Open scripture, pray, ask God, show me what you're like. Two, worship. Worship is powerful. Being together, sometimes a sermon can be awful. Uh, I know that. You can be, or the, the songs cannot be your favorite songs, but you hear somebody who you know is struggling singing a song about praising God on a day that you don't feel like praising God and your life has changed through that. Because they have a view of what God is like that you've somehow missed from over here. And somebody over there sees a view of God that you've missed. And that's what's so beautiful about a church full of diverse experiences and people from different places. It's so beautiful because we get a better picture of what God is like. Worship. Come and listen to the people of God sing the songs of God in the presence of God. That's how we don't forget who God is and what he's like. And third, community. We need people who sometimes go like, your version of Jesus is dumb. 
right? We need people who come alongside us. We're like, yeah, because there's times, all of us, if you follow Jesus very long, you've heard someone say this and you've probably said it yourself where you're like, well, I just prayed about this and I feel like Jesus told me and you need someone to go, Jesus did not tell you that. That was the thing that you just wanted to do that's convenient that you think Jesus told you to do that. But Jesus definitely did not tell you to do that. No, but I really think if I just like, if I just, I, I think he wants me to have, nope, he does not want you to have that. He wants you to have something better. And we need that community that we live this life together. Someone steps in and says, the, you're making up a view of Jesus that does not exist and it's not as good as the real one. We need those three things. And it's simple, but it's hard. But it's simple. We need to constantly be reminded he's Yahweh and this is what he's like. So when I'm struggling, I come in here and I worship and I sing songs about where he is and what he's like. And I go into community and I have people in my life that say, Chris, do not forget. He is the God who saves. There is purpose and reason behind what you're going through. Chris, God has blessed you. Rejoice and never, ever make the mistake of thinking that you've earned any of this or deserve it. It's a blessing from God. Praise him every day. Be grateful. I need to be reminded of all of these things. Chris, your work, all of your things that you do, it's not gonna, doesn't make Jesus love you at all, anymore at all. I have to be reminded of these things, sing these songs, hear these texts, be told by people who are wise that God has given the gift of speaking into my life just by the fact that they're part of the church. We need those things to reveal to us what he's like. He's told us. And we get to do that together. Let's pray. Father, you revealed to us in Jesus, your son, what you are like. You've shown us and told us, revealed to us that you are a God who is gentle and lowly. You are not, you love us so much that you have pursued us in our brokenness and in our sin. You have come to find us and make us your own by faith and faith alone. Give us a constant renewing of what you were like. Your judgment is your strange work, but you are a God who judges. And that's actually good for us. But above all, you're a God who loves. You're a God who is love. As we come to the table, the body broken and the blood spilled that we may have life. May we be changed. Meet us. Show us grace and mercy. I want to believe that you're a God of judgment and I can just live up to a certain standard, but show me that you are a God of mercy. How much better than the God that I make up? Yes, you are powerful, but you're also a God who saves. And the way that you have saved is by coming in the flesh, dying and being raised again, that we might have life by being united to you in faith. Make us new. And then we fall more in love with you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.